I'd like to thank Aaron K for sponsoring this week's Torah content. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shirim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and access additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishnewes.substack.com. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the audio version of the three-page article I wrote and published on my Substack at rabbishnewes.substack.com on October 20th, 2023, and the article is entitled Noach, Searching for Meaning in the Post-Diluvian Genealogy. Section 1, How to Approach Seemingly Useless Passages in Torah. If I ask you which part of this week's Parsha the Ramam identifies as one of the mysteries of the Torah, you might assume he is referring to the decree of the flood or to the covenant made with Noah and the survivors, or to the rainbow, or to the cryptic narrative of the Tower of Babel. Nope. The Ramam in the Mornibuchim 350 writes, quote, There are things that belong to the mysteries of the Torah, which have caused many people to stumble, which therefore ought to be explained. These are the stories recounted in the Torah, the telling of which is thought to be useless, as, for instance, the account of the branching out of tribes from Noah and of their names and dwelling places. Likewise, the sons of Seir HaChori, the accounts of the kings that reigned in the land of Edom, and the like. End quote from the Ramam. The stumbling caused by such apparently useless passages is epitomized by Menashe, as Ramam continues, quote, You know the saying of the sages, that the wicked king Menashe occupied his vile counsel with nothing but criticism of such, such passages. They say, quote, He used to sit there and interpret scripture with blasphemous agados, homiletics, Thus he said, Moshe did not need to write, quote, and the sister of Lotan was Timnah, uh, in Breshis 36.22, and so on, end quote from the Ramam. Menashe's erroneous view is the antithesis of the principle of Torah min Hashemayim, Torah from heaven, so much so that the Ramam incorporates it into his formulation of Torah min Hashemayim in Perak Chelek, quote, in the eyes of the, of the sages, there was no greater heretic and rebel as Menashe, for he believed that in the Torah there are grain and chaff, and that these accounts and narratives have no value at all, and that Moshe said them on his own. And this is the meaning of the statement, the Torah is not from heaven, which the sages understand to refer to one who asserts that the whole Torah in its entirety is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, except for a particular verse, which he maintains was not uttered by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but by Moshe himself. And concerning such a person, it is said, for he has despised the word of Hashem. May he, Hashem, be exalted over the speech of heretics. But rather, within each and every letter of the Torah, there are wisdoms and wonders for him to whom God has given understanding. End quote from the Ramam. Torah min Hashemayim is not merely a belief in the divine origin of Torah, but also in its divine character. Just as every aspect of the natural world uniformly manifests Chochmas Hashem, divine wisdom, from the largest galaxy to the smallest particle, the same is true in Torah. It is in this respect that the Ramam writes, quote, there is no difference between Breshis 10.6, the sons of Ham were Kush and Mitzrayim and Put and Kanaan, or Breshis 36.39, his, his wife's name was Mehitavel, the daughter of Matred, and Shemos 22, I am Hashem, or Devarim 6.4, Hear, O Israel, Hashem is our God, Hashem is one. All is from the mouth of the Almighty, and all of the Torah of Hashem is pure, perfect, holy, and true. End quote from the Ramam. Before offering his explanations of these secrets of Torah and the more Nevuchim, the Ramam translate Torah min, translates Torah min Hashemayim into a heuristic for finding meaning in these seemingly useless Torah passages. Quote, 
Know that all the stories you will find mentioned in the Torah occur there for a necessary Torah-related reason, either to affirm a true idea, which is one of the foundations of the Torah, or to rectify some action so that a mutual wrongdoing and aggression should not occur between men. End quote from the Ramam. Torah is not a history book. It is a regimen designed to promote tikkun hanefesh, improvement of the intellect, and tikkun haguf, improvement of individual character traits and interpersonal relations. See Mor Hanavuchim 327 for the Ramam's extensive treatment of this concept. Everything in the Torah serves one of these two purposes, even passages such as these, which ostensibly have nothing to do with such lofty objectives. Section 2. Application to Noach's Genealogy, Rambam and Shadal. Breshis chapter 10, referred to by some as the Begats, chronicles the genealogy of Noach and his offspring. Quote from Breshis 10.1, These are the descendants of the sons of Noach, Shem, Ham, and Yaphis. Sons were born to them after the, the flood. End quote. <clears throat> the names of 70 descendants are listed, and much ink has been spilled in an effort to correlate these names to the nations we know about today. See Abravanel on 10.1 for a comprehensive attempt, or really Abravanel on chapter 10. But Ramam doesn't care about such questions. He is interested in how this list either reinforces one of the foundations of Torah or promotes righteous conduct in society. In that vein, he offers the following explanation. Quote, As it is a pillar of the Torah that the world was created in time, that at first a single individual of the human species, namely Adam, was created, and that approximately 2,500 years elapsed between Adam and Moshe Rabbeinu, men, if they were given this information only, would rapidly have begun to have doubts in those times. For people were to be found scattered up to the ends of the whole earth. There were different tribes in very dissimilar languages. These doubts were put to an end through an exposition of the genealogy of all of them, and of their branching by mentioning the names of the famous men among them, such and such, son of such and such, and their ages by giving the facts regarding their habitats, uh, oh, hold on just one second here, and their ages, and by giving the facts regarding their habitats and the reason that necessitated their being scattered up to the ends of the earth and their languages being different in spite of their having at first dwelt in one place and having had all of them one language, a fact that was necessary, that was a necessary consequence of their being the children of a single man. Okay, I think I parsed that sentence wrong, but hopefully you got it. End quote from the Ramam. In other words, if the Torah had only taught its doctrines about Masabreshis, correction, uh, creation ex nihilo, and the creation of man, and left it at that, people would be perplexed as to how all these different nations and languages developed and spread to the far corners of the earth. This perplexity might lead them to question, doubt, or even deny the Torah's account of creation. For this reason, Hashem saw fit to include Noah's complete family tree. This list has functioned as a silent bulwark against the denial of Masabreshis for millennia. Footnote. Modern readers are faced with a similar perplexity. How do we reconcile the Torah's account of the generations from Adam to Noah and Noah to Avraham with modern anthropology? This is an important question for a different time. Back to the main body of the article. Shadal on Breshi's 10.1 offers a different explanation, one which might be characterized as, quote, more Maimonidean than Maimonides, uh, end quote. He begins by acknowledging the limitations of our knowledge and then states his theory, quote, we cannot know what the traditions of the people were concerning these matters and what their corrupted beliefs were, so we cannot fully understand the benefit to be derived from the detailed recounting of these descendants. We do know, however, that many of the ancients said that their ancestors were born out of the soil out of their soil by means of a miracle performed by one god or another, or that they were born of the gods themselves. The intention of the Torah here is to refute these tales and to establish the true belief that we are all the children of one man and all the work of one god. 
End quote from Shadal. According to Shadal, this genealogy is part of the Torah's polemic against Avodah idolatry, and its mythos. Shadal's polemical approach makes its first appearance in his commentary on the story of Noah's drunkenness in the previous chapter. Like most commentators, Shadal maintains that the Torah sought to teach of the evils, quote, uh, that the Torah sought to teach of the evils which result from wine. For Noah, who was the most just and upright man among his contemporaries, met with moral stumbling blocks because of drunkenness. End quote. Uh, that's from Shadal on Breshi's 920. Shadal then cites two theories from his students. Quote, Perhaps the Torah hastens to mention this because the Gentiles worshipped the god Bacchus as the god of wine, and so the Torah sought to make it known that Noah was only a man like any other. That is from he says, my student, Rabbi Judah Arye Osimo. Another reason may be that the Egyptians said that wine was the invention of the devil. That's from Rabbi Abraham High Mainster. End quote from Shadal. Shadal offers a similar explanation of the verses about Nimrod uh, on Breshi's 10.8. Quote, according to Petavius, Nimrod is Belus, the first king of Assyria. It seems likely that he is mentioned here because he was worshipped as a god. We find that Assyria is called the land of Nimrod in Micha 5.5. 5. Uh, the Tower of Bavel to this day is, is called after Nimrod, uh, Birs Nimrud. In that tower or temple was the chief worship of the god Bel. Perhaps the nations under his rule called him Bel, i.e. Baal, lord or master, while those not under his rule called him Morid, rebel. Because Bel was quite a famous god, the Torah tells us that he was only a mighty hunter, end quote. Some of these polemics have nothing to do with the Vodazara, but are geared towards cultural ends. Quote, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to let Israel know that the Philistines, near whom they were about to dwell, were descended from the children of Egypt, so that the Israelites would separate themselves from them and their ways. For there is no doubt that the Israelites in the time of Moses hated the Egyptians under whom they had been enslaved. End quote. Rama Mishdal enable us to glimpse how these dry sections of Torah might have been read by those for whom they were intended. For them, this genealogy would be rich with revolutionary meaning. Section 3, A Lesson in Humility After explaining these passages in the Mora, Ramam expresses a yearning for lost anthropological knowledge. Quote, To sum up, just as, according to what I have told you in the earlier chapters, the doctrines of the Sabians, a culture of ancient idolaters, are remote from us today, the chronicles of those times are likewise hidden from us today. Hence, if we knew them and were cognizant of the events that happened in those days, we would know in detail the reasons for many things mentioned in the Torah. End quote. This is the same message with which Shadal opened his commentary on our chapter. Quote, we cannot know what the traditions of the peoples were concerning these matters and what their corrupted beliefs were, so we cannot fully understand the benefit to be derived from the detailed recounting of these descendants. End quote. To my mind, Ramam and Shadal are highlighting an important takeaway. Although every single verse in the Torah contains wisdom and meaning, this doesn't mean that the wisdom and meaning are for us. The Torah was written to guide human beings throughout every epoch of history. Mankind has needed different forms of guidance at different stages of its development. For example, Hashem gave us specific mitzvos to uproot specific avodazara practices and beliefs, such as the prohibitions against consulting an ov and yidoni or shaving our peos, sideburns. These mitzvos, these mitzvos were crafted with wisdom and served their purpose at an earlier stage of humanity, and although they are still halakhically binding for us today, we are not their intended audience. The same is true of these narrative portions of Torah. They were included in the Torah for specific polemical reasons, some of which we can know and some of which are known only to God. And it is quite possible that they have served their purpose. We must have the humility to recognize that the Torah was written for a broader audience than ourselves.
If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zelle slash Chase QuickPay and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewos at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.